0: Chapter twenty part two of my life on the plains. The LibriVox recording is in the public domain. If that is so, Colonel, there's a many one of em, was the sober response of California Joe, who rode at his side. By this time, the Indians could be plainly seen, although numbers of them continued to gallop up from the rear. It was evident from their movements that they had discovered Colonel Cook's party almost as soon as he had seen them, and that the entire body of Indians was directing its march toward the little eminence from which the white men were now watching their movements. "'What do you think about now, Colonel?' said California Joe, at last breaking the silence. "'Well, Joe, we must do the best we can. There's no use in running.' you're right replied joe an injun will beat a white man runnin every time so i spect our best holt is fittin but lord a mercy look at him! there ain't enough of us to go half round getting his little party collected and in good order and speaking words of encouragement to all colonel cook quietly awaited further developments His thoughts in the meanwhile must have been such as he probably never wishes to indulge in again. All sorts of terrible visions and ideas flashed through his mind, the most prominent and well as plausible being that the Indians had made away with my party, and from Little Robe and Yellow Bear had learned of the expected supplies with their small escort, and were now in search of the latter whatever varied thoughts of this character chased each other through his brain he at once came to the firm resolve that whatever fate was in store for him he would meet it like a soldier and if the worst came he would fight to the last but this time it was seen that a single indian was galloping in advance of the rest as if hastening to reach the white man that's a queer dodge remarked california joe But the mystery was soon cleared away, as the Indian began to draw near to the party without slacking his pace. Colonel Cook and California Joe instinctively advanced to meet him, when, to their great joy and surprise, it was proved to be none other than the faithful Yellow Bear, who, realizing the situation, had ridden in advance of his people in order to assure the whites of their friendly character his coming no doubt caused the hearts of colonel cook and his party to beat lighter or as california joe expressed it when i seed it was yellow bear i knowed we was all right from yellow bear colonel cook learned where he might expect to find us and thus another cause of anxiety was lifted from his mind the morning after my party had been reinforced by the arrival just described We set out under the guidance of Neva and the two young Arapaho warriors and followed the direction in which Little Robe had gone. It being one of the winter months, the Indian ponies were still in unfit condition to make long or rapid marches. For this reason the two Arapahoes had left their ponies with the village and were accompanying, or rather preceding us on foot, an undertaking which they seemed to have had no difficulty in accomplishing. The grazing became more indifferent each day as we journeyed toward the west, until finally we ceased to rely upon it. But as a substitute feed, our horses upon the bark of the young cottonwood trees, which are generally found fringing the borders of the streams. In spite, however, our utmost care, our horses and pack animals, having exhausted their supply of forage, began to fail in strength and condition under their cottonwood bark diet after reaching and crossing the red river at point west of that at which the survey of marcy and mcclellan crossed it and failing to discover any indication of the recent occupation of the ground by indians i had fears that if i prolonged my journey much further our animals would not be able to reach the main camp so famished had they become in the last few days I Therefore, after consultation with Neva and the two Arapahoes, decided to recross to the north bank of the Red River and follow up its course until we should reach a small tributary coming in from the northwest, at which Neva informed me would furnish a good campground. In the meantime, Neva, who was well mounted on a hardy active mule, was to take with him the two young Arapahoes and push on in advance in search of the cheyenne village the understanding being that i should follow in his direction until the stream referred to was reached where i would await his return for three days should he fail to rejoin us in that time we would commence our return march to the main camp when it was known that this plan had been definitely settled upon young brewster who never for a moment had become discouraged as to his final success in discovering his lost sister came to me and in the most earnest manner asked permission to accompany neva in his search for the cheyenne village i did everything i could to dissuade him from his so dangerous a project no arguments were of any avail he felt satisfied that his sister was a prisoner in the cheyenne village and that this his last and only opportunity to gain a knowledge of the fact, and even with the chances of death or torture staring him in the face, he preferred to risk all and learn the truth rather than live longer in a state of horrible uncertainty. Against my better judgment in the matter, I was forced by his inopportune manner to grant him permission to accompany Neva, Taking on a suitable amount of supplies with them, the three Indians and young Brewster set out, Neva being the only one of the party mounted. After they had left us, we moved in the same direction, with the intention of halting on the stream indicated by Neva, there to await their return. While the reader is also awaiting their return, I will refer to an incident which should have appeared in an earlier part of this chapter it was neither more or less than what might among fashionable notice of the indian press provided they had one have been termed an elopement in high life one evening after we had gone into the camp many long weary miles from our point of starting and when we supposed we had left all the kiowas safely in camp awaiting the release of their two chiefs lone wolf and satana we were all surprised to see a young and handsome kiowa warrior gallop into our midst accompanied by a young squaw who certainly could not have reached the age which distinguishes the woman from a girl in a few moments our little party gathered about these two wayfarers eager to learn the cause of their sudden and unexpected visit the girl was possessed of almost marvelous beauty a beauty so remarkable that my companions of that march refer to her this day as the most beautiful squaw they had ever seen her graceful and well-rounded form her clearly-cut features her dark expressive eyes fringed with long silken lashes cheeks rich with the color of young teeth of pearly whiteness occasionally peeping from between her full rosy lips added withal to a most bewitching manner, required not the romance of her story to make her an object of deep interest in the eyes of the gallants of our party, but to their story. She was the daughter of Black Eagle, at the time acting head chief of the Kiowas. The young warrior who rode at her side was somewhat of a young Lock-and-Var in indisposition. It was the old old story only to be repeated again by these representatives of the red man mutual and determined to love on the part of the youngsters opposition equally determined upon the part of black eagle not that the young warrior was objectionable but unfortunately as is but too often the case he was poor and could not offer in exchange for the hand of a chief's daughter the proper number of ponies black eagle was inexorable the lover's constancy itself there was but one thing for them to do and they did it aware of our proposed expedition in search of the cheyenne and arapahoes they timed their affairs accordingly giving us time to get two days to start they slipped away from their village at dusk the evening of the second day after our departure and hastening unperceived to a thicket near by where the lover had taken the precaution to conceal two of the fleetest ponies of the village already saddled they soon were in their saddles and galloping for love and life away from the kiowa village i say galloping for life for by the indian law if the father or relative of the girl could overtake the lovers within twenty-four hours The life of the young woman would pay for the forfeit they followed our trail in order to avail themselves of our protection by traveling with us as far as our course might lead them in the direction of the staked plains on the borders of which a straggling band of kiowas under the chief woman heart was supposed to be and which the lovers intended to join at least until the rage of should subside and they be invited to return this in brief was their story i need not add that they found a hearty welcome in our midst and were assured that they need no longer fear pursuit that evening after the campfires were lighted the officers of our party with romeo as interpreter gathered around the campfire of the bridal couple and passed a pleasant hour in conversation their happiness and exultation at their success in escaping from their village was too powerful to be restrained. And in many delicate little ways the bride, for by Indian law, 24 hours absence from the village with her lover, made her a bride, plainly betrayed her exceeding fondness for him who had risked all to claim her as his own, after my return to the main camp i met black eagle and informed him that his daughter and her husband had been companions of our march yes why did you not kill him was his reply upon which inquiry he explained by saying that if some person had kindly put an end to the life of his son-in-law it would have benefited him to the value of several ponies his difficulty seemed to be in overcoming the loss of the ponies, which should have been paid for his daughter's hand. I afterwards learned, however, that the Haunti chief became reconciled to the wilful lovers, and invited them to return to his lodge—an invitation they were not tardy in accepting. We pitched our camp at the point agreed upon between Neva and myself, and prepared to await the return of his party neva had been informed that our delay could not extend beyond three days as our store provisions and forage was almost exhausted and this fact alone would force us to retrace our steps i had hoped that during the time we were to spend in camp hunting parties might be able to bring in a sufficient amount of game to satisfy our wants but although parties were dispatched in all directions not an animal or bird could be found so barren was this country as to offer no inducements that would attract game of any species our last ounce of meat had been eaten and the men after one day's deprivation of this essential part of their rations were almost ravenous our horses had several days since eating their last ration of grain and the grass was so sparse and indifferent as to furnish insufficient diet to sustain life resort was had to cottonwood bark to obtain which we cut down large numbers of the trees and fed our horses upon the young bark of the branches knowing that in answer to my second request supplies of provision both for men and horses might be on their way and probably near to us i determined to begin our return march one day sooner than i had expected when neva and his companions left us as they would be able to find our camp to follow our trail and overtake us we moved only a few miles but even this short distance was sufficient to demonstrate how weak and famished our horses had become one of them dying from starvation before we reached camp the first day of our return march this circumstance however was turned to our advantage much has been said and written in praise of the savouriness of horse flesh as a diet our necessities compelled us to put this question to practical test and the animal had scarcely fallen unable to rise again when it was decided to prepare his carcass for food That evening the men treated themselves to a bountiful repast made up of roast steaks, and broils from all the flesh of the poor animal whose death was attributable to starvation alone. Judging, however, from the jolly laughter which rang through the camp at supper time, the introduction of this new article of diet met with a cordial reception. Soon after finishing our supper we discovered in the distance and following in our trail a horseman we at once concluded this must be neva a fact rendered conclusive by the aid of a field glass various were the surmises indulged in by the different members of our party as to the success of neva's mission what had become of his companions particularly young brewster these and many other inquiries suggested themselves as we watched his approach we could almost read the answer on neva's face when he reached us as to the success of his search for the cheyennes disappointment hunger and fatigue were plainly marked in his features as he dismounted and shook hands with us knowing that one of the characteristics of the indian is to talk but little until the wants of the inner man has been fully attended to i at once ordered him a steak one of the party however fearing that if he knew the exact character of the diet offered him he might from some superstitious cause decline it suggested that neva be asked if he would like a nice buffalo steak a deception which seemed somewhat justifiable under the circumstances to this neva returned a hearty affirmative when one of the men placed before him a raw steak whose dimensions would have amply gratified the appetites of an ordinary family of a half a dozen having held the steak over the blazing fire until sufficiently done to suit his taste nevis seated himself on the ground near by and began helping himself liberally to the dripping morsel after he had indulged for some time in this pleasing entertainment and having made no remark one of the officers inquired of him if he was hungry yes was his reply but added in his very indifferent english poor bufano poor Bavano." none of us ever informed him of the little deception which had been practised upon him his account of his journey was brief he had travelled nearly due west accompanied by brewster and the two young arapahoes and had discovered the trail of the Cheyenne village, some two weeks old, leading still further to the west, and under circumstances which induced him to believe the village had moved far away. Under these circumstances there was no course left to him but to return. The Arapahoes decided to follow on and join the Cheyenne village. Neva and young Brewster began their return together, but the latter, being unable to travel as fast as Neva, fell behind. Neva, anxious to keep his promise and rejoin us at the time and place indicated, pushed forward as rapidly as possible. Young Brewster, however, manfully struggled along and reached our camp a few hours after Neva's arrival. The next morning we set out on our homeward or return march during the night one of our horses strayed away from the camp and as one of the men thought he could find it before we made our start in the morning he left camp with that purpose failing to rejoin us at the proper time i sent parties in search for him but they returned unsuccessful we were compelled by our necessities to move without further delay weeks and months elapsed and no tidings of the lost trooper reached us when one day while encamped near fort hays kansas hundreds of miles from the locality of which i am now writing who should step up to my tent but the man who was lost from us in northwestern texas he had become bewildered after losing sight of our camp took the wrong direction and was never able thereafter during his wanderings to determine his course fortunately he took a southern route And after nearly two months of solitary roaming over the plains of northern texas he arrived at a military post south of red river in texas and by way of galveston the gulf of mexico the mississippi and missouri rivers rejoined his regiment in kansas as we gained the crest of the hill from which we obtained a view of the white tents which formed our camp there was no one of our little party who did not enjoy a deep feeling of gratitude and thankfulness that our long and trying journey was about to end under happier auspices than might have been supposed when we began it we had found the arapahoes and succeeded in placing them on their reservation where from that date to the present time they have remained never engaging as a tribe in making war, or committing depredations on the Whites, so far as my knowledge extends. We did not succeed so well with the Cheyennes, but we established facts regarding their location, disposition, and intentions as to peace, which were of invaluable service to us in determining future operations, looking to the establishment of peace with them. Our arrival in camp created a sensation among our comrades who had seen us depart upon what they might well have considered an errand of questionable prudence leaving my companions of the march to answer the many queries of those who had not accompanied us i galloped across the narrow plain which separated general sheridan's tents from my camp and was soon greeted by the general and staff in terms of a hearty welcome repairing to the general's tent i soon recounted the principal incidents of my expedition with most of which the reader has already made acquaintance i found that the arapahoes had kept their promise made to me while i was in their village and that the village was then located near our main camp it might be proper here to remark that although a period of several years has elapsed since the arapahoes were induced to accept the offer of peace made to them and promise to relinquish in the future their predatory mode of life yet to this day so far as i know they as a tribe have remained at peace with the white man this remark may not and probably does not apply to particular individuals of the tribe but it is due to the tribe to state that their conduct since the events related to the preceding chapter have been greatly to their credit as well as to the peace and comfort of the settlers of the frontier results wholly due to the washita campaign and the subsequent events which the reader of those articles is familiar the conduct of the cheyennes however in declining our proffers of peace left the indian question in that section of the country still unsettled but this only rendered new plans necessary plans which were quickly determined upon other events of great public importance rendered general sheridan's presence necessary elsewhere And an early day it was therefore decided that he accompanied by his escort of scouts under lieutenant pepun should proceed northward toward camp supply while i with the seventh regulars and the nineteenth kansas cavalry and my osage scouts a force numbering about fifteen hundred men should move westward in quest of the recalcitrant Cheyennes and administer to them such treatment as their past conduct might merit and existing circumstances demanded satana and lone wolf were still prisoners in our hands a portion of their tribe having failed thus far to comply with the terms of the agreement by which they were to settle down peaceably on their reservation As the greater portion of the tribe, however, was then in camp near us, and as both Satan and Lone Wolf were loud in their protestations of peace, it was decided to release them. Accordingly, after conference with General Sheridan, I went to the lodge in which I kept the two chiefs closely guarded as prisoners, and informed them of the decision which had been arrived at in their behalf, the only response being a most hearty and emphatic how." From the two robust chieftains. General Sheridan had up to this time declined all their requests for an interview, but now deemed it best to see them and speak a few words of warning and caution as to their future conduct. No peace commissioners were ever entertained by promises of good behavior, peaceable intentions, and regrets for past offenses which smacked a greater earnestness and sincerity than those volunteered by Lone Wolf and Satana when informed that they were free to rejoin their people. According to their voluntary representations, their love for it, their white brother was unbounded, their desire for peace, their hatred of war ungovernable, and nothing would satisfy them in future but to be permitted to lead their people, the white man's road, by cultivating the soil, building schoolhouses and churches, and forever ensuing a predatory or warlike life alas the instability of human resolutions particularly of the humans in an indian and the resolutions are expressed not formed simply to obtain a certain advantage or as is most usually the case to tickle the fanciful imagination of some thoroughly well-meaning but utterly impractical peace commissioner whose favorable influence is believed by the indians to be all potent in securing fresh invoices of new blankets breech-loading arms and provisions neither blankets breech-loading arms or an unnecessary amount of provisions were distributed by the military among the adherents of satana and lone wolf scarcely one year had elapsed however before satana defiantly informed the general of the army then on a visit to fort sill that he had just returned from an expedition to texas during which he and his party had murdered and robbed several white men. It was this confession which led to Satana's trial, conviction, and sentence to death by the civil authorities of Texas. Through the intercession of the general government, the executive of Texas was induced to commute the punishment of Satana from hanging to imprisonment for life, a step which all familiar with indians and indian management knew would result sooner or later in his release and that of his confederate big tree importuned constantly by the tender-hearted representatives of the peace commissioners who could not be induced to look upon satana and big tree as murderers the governor of texas very unwisely yielded to their persistent appeals and upon the strength of promises solemnly made by the peace commissioners according to which not only satan and big tree were to abstain from acts of bloodshed and murder in the future but their entire tribe was also to remain at peace and within their reservation limits the two chiefs who had unfortunately escaped the halter were again turned loose to engage in acts of hostility against the whites an opportunity they and their treacherous people have not been slow to improve from that day to this the winter of eighteen sixty eight through sixty nine was rapidly terminating acting as a forcible reminder to us that if we hoped to operate in the field with any advantage over the cheyennes the movement must be made before the spring grass should make its appearance for the benefit of the indian ponies Accordingly, as soon as our arrangements were perfected, our camp at the present site of Fort Sill, Indian Territory, was broken up, and General Sheridan, accompanied by his staff and escort, set out for camp supply in the north, while my command faced westward and began its search for the Cheyennes passing along the southern base of the Wichita Mountains on the afternoon of Inauguration Day at Old Camp Radziminski. A station which had been occupied by our troops prior to the war between the northern and southern states and whose name no doubt will recall pleasant reminiscences to many who afterwards wore the blue or the gray on the morning of the first day after leaving the wichita mountains behind us no little excitement was created throughout the command by the discovery of a column of smoke directly on our course and apparently about fifteen or twenty miles in front of us. That Indians had originated the fire was beyond a doubt, as we all knew that beyond us, in the direction of the smoke, the country was inhabited by no human being save hostile Indians. I at once decided to push on with the command to the point from which the smoke was ascending, and discover, if possible, some traces of the Indians. Be it understood, that neither i nor any members of my command supposed for one moment that when we arrived at the desired point we would find the indians there awaiting our arrival but we did hope to discover their trail of the many experienced frontiersmen embraced in the command including of course california joe there were none who judged the distance which separated us from the smoke as greater than could easily be passed over by us before three or four o'clock that afternoon it was evidently not a signal smoke ascending from a single point and regulated by human control but appeared from our standpoint more like a fire communicated to the prairie grass from an abandoned or neglected campfire Pushing on as rapidly as our horses could travel, we were again reminded from time to time of the deceptive character of the plains as regards to distances. When three o'clock arrived and we had been marching steadily for nine hours, the dense and changing columns of deep gray smoke, which had been our guiding point all day, seemed as far distant as when our march began in the morning except to water our animals and once to enable the men to prepare a cup of coffee. No halts were made from six o'clock in the morning until we finally reached the desired locality, not at three or four o'clock in the afternoon, but at two o'clock that night. Our surmises proved correct. The fire had evidently been communicated to the dry winter grass from some Indian campfire. The Indians, of course, had gone. But where? as this was a question that could not be solved until daylight and as all of us were glad enough for an opportunity to get a few hours repose the troops bivouacked in promiscuous order as they arrived only those who have enjoyed similar experiences know how brief the preparation required for sleep as for myself as soon as the necessary directions had been given related to the command I unsaddled my horse, arranged my saddle for my pillow, tethered my horse within easy reach and in less time than has been required to write these few lines. I was enjoying one of those slumbers which only come as the reward of a day of earnest activity in the saddle. As soon as it was light enough for our purpose we were in the saddle and searching in all directions for the trail left by the Indians who had fired the prairie. Our Osage scouts were not long in making the desired discovery. The trail led westward, following the general course of a small valley in which it was first discovered. The party was evidently a small one, numbering not more than fifteen persons. But the direction in which they were moving led me to hope that by following them carefully and with due caution, to prevent discovery of our pursuit, we might be led to the main village. All that day our Osage scouts clung to the trail with the pertinacity of sleuth-hounds. The course led us up and across several different streams of beautiful clear water, but to our great disappointment, and to that of our horses as well, upon attempting to quench our thirst at different times, that every stream was impregnated to the fullest degree with salt. Later in the day this became a serious matter. And had we not been on an Indian trail, I should have entertained earnest apprehensions as to whether or not we were destined to find pure water by continuing further in the direction we were moving. But I felt confident that the Indians we were pursuing were familiar with the country and would no doubt lead us, unintentionally of course, to streams of fresh water. One of the streams we crossed was so strongly impregnated with salt that The edges near the banks were covered with a border of pure white salt resembling the borders of ice often seen along rivulets in winter this border was from one to three feet in width and sufficiently thick to support the weight of a horse fortunately the indian trail as i had anticipated led us to a refreshing spring of pure cold water nearby here we halted to prepare a cup of coffee before continuing the pursuit while halted at this point i observed a trooper approaching with an armful of huge cakes of pure white salt gathered from the salt stream just described and which flowered at the foot of the hill from which also bubbled forth the spring of fresh water to which we were indebted for the means of preparing our first meal on that day salt was not an abundant article with us at that time and the trooper referred to aware of this fact had in behalf of himself and comrades collected from the literal salt of the earth a quantity ample for all present need after conveying his valuable load to the vicinity of the cook fire he broke the cakes of salt into small particles with an axe and then passing the fragments through a coffee mill he was in possession of table salt, whose quality would have satisfied a more exacting epicure than a hungry cavalryman. Finishing our meal, which not only was our breakfast for that day, but a late dinner as well, we resumed the pursuit. Observing before doing so that the Indians had also made a brief halt at the same point, and had built a fire and prepared their meal as we had done after them crossing a high ridge or divide the trail led us down into a beautiful open valley after following up the course of the latter several miles the freshness of the trail indicated that the indians had passed over it the same day as it was not our purpose to overtake them but to follow as closely as prudence would allow i determined to go into the camp until the following morning soon after resuming the pursuit next day rain began to fall At first slowly, but later in the day in copious showers. I knew the Indians would not travel in the rain if they could avoid it, unless they knew they were being pursued, and of this fact I had reason to believe they were still ignorant, as evidence found all along the trail indicated that they were moving very leisurely. To avoid placing ourselves too close proximity to them, I ordered a halt about noon and began preparing for camping for the night our wagons were still in the rear in the meantime the horses were all unsaddled and picketed out in the usual manner to graze as was my usual custom upon halting for the night i had directed the osage scouts instead of halting and unsaddling to advance in the direction we were to follow the next day and examine the country for a distance of a few miles We had barely completed the unsaddling of our horses and disposed of them over the grazing ground when i discovered the osage scouts returning over the ridge in front of us as fast as their ponies could carry them their story was soon told disliking to travel in the rain the indians whom we were pursuing had gone into camp also and the osage scouts had discovered them not more than a mile from us the ridge referring to preventing the indians from seeing us or being seen by us quickly the word saddle up flew from mouth to mouth and in a marvelously brief time officers and men were in the saddle and under the guidance of the sage scouts were moving stealthily to surprise the indian camp passing around a little spur of the dividing ridge there before us at a distance of but a few hundred yards stood the half-erected lodge of the Indians, while scattered here and there in the immediate vicinity were to be seen the Indian ponies and pack-animals grazing in apparent unconsciousness of the close proximity of an enemy. At a given signal, the cavalry put the spurs to their steeds, drew their revolvers, and in a few moments were in the possession of the Indian camp, ponies and all. No, not all, for not a single Indian could be discovered. The troops were deployed at a gallop in all directions, but failed to find the trace of an Indian. Our capture was apparently an empty one. How the occupants of the Indian camp at first discovered our presence, and afterwards contrived to elude us, was a mystery which even puzzled our Osage scouts. This mystery was afterwards explained, and in order to avoid detaining the reader, I will anticipate sufficiently to state that in the course of subsequent events which came face to face under a flag of truce with the late occupants of the indian camp and learned from them that in this instance history had reproduced itself rome was saved by the cackling of geese the indians owed their safety to the barking of dogs not the barking of dogs belonging to their own camp but to ours It seemed that during the haste and excitement attended upon the discovery of the close proximity of the Indian camp to ours, two of our dogs, whether or not sharing in the bellicose humor of their masters, engaged in a quarrel, the noise of which reached the quick ears of the Indians nearly one mile distant. Comprehending the situation at once, the Indians, realizing the danger of delay, abandoned their camp and ponies and fled on foot, the better to effect concealment and elude pursuit. On the following day we resumed the march. There being no longer any trail for us to follow, we continued in the same direction, believing that the small party we had been pursuing had been directing their course toward the location of the main village, which was somewhere to the westward of us. Day after day we traveled in this direction, hoping to discover some sign or trail which might give us a clue to the whereabouts of the cheyenne village we had left the indian territory far behind us and had advanced into texas well toward the one hundred and second degree meridian of longitude nearly all hope of discovering the indians had vanished from the minds of the officers and men when late in the afternoon the trail of a single lodge was discovered leading in a southwesterly direction the trail was nearly if not quite one month old hence it did not give great encouragement to the surprise of most of the command i changed the direction of our march at once and put the osages on the trail having decided to follow it this may seem to the reader an ill-advised move but the idea under which the decision was made was that the owner of the lodge the trail of which we had discovered had probably been absent from the main village in search of game as is customary for small parties of indians at that season of the year in the spring however the entire tribe assembles at one point and determines its plans and movements for the summer whether related to war or hunting there was a chance a slight one it is true that the trail of a single lodge just discovered might lead us to the rendezvous of the tribe. I deemed it worthy of our attention, and a pursuit of a few days at furthest would determine the matter. Following our faithful Osages, who experienced no difficulty in keeping the trail, we marched until near sundown, when we arrived at the banks of a small stream, upon which, and near a cool bubbling spring, we discovered the evidences of an indian camp which must have been not only included in the lodge whose trail we had been following but about a dozen others here was a speedier confirmation of my hopes than i had anticipated here i determined to encamp until morning and while the cavalry were unsaddling and pitching their tents i asked Monacita to examine the indian camp minutely and to tell me how long a time had elapsed since its occupation by the indians how many constituted the party and the character and probable indications of the latter no detective could have set about the proposed examination with greater thoroughness than did this indian girl the ashes of the campfire were wright carefully away and examined with all the scrutiny of a chemical analysis bits of cloth or fragments of the skins of animals found within the limits of the camp were lifted from their resting-places as tenderly as if they were articles of greatest value here and there were to be seen the bones of deer or antelope which had been obtained by the indians as food end of chapter twenty part two